You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Today we are going to be reading about a serious threat to the very existence of the Church of Jesus Christ uh, in its uh, earliest days. This is a contest uh, between God and King Herod. It's God versus King Herod here. Uh, This is not just history though. Uh, This this passage is full of vital truth uh, for believers and unbelievers alike today. Uh, so this, this text has something to say to everybody here. Uh, it's Acts chapter 12. We're going to be reading the entire chapter, as you can see if you've looked in your bulletin. Um, it's a, the, the reading is a little bit extra long, but it's worth reading. Uh, so if you're not able to stand for that long, you may stay seated. But if you are able to stand, would you please uh, now for the reading of uh God's word. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. Guide us now, we pray, by your word and your Holy Spirit, so that in your truth we may find freedom and in your will discover your peace that defies human understanding. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So God sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Jesus' mission will not fail. If you oppose Jesus, actively or passively, you will ultimately lose. If you join Jesus, even though you will experience sufferings and setbacks, you will ultimately win. That's a fair summary of the theme of chapter 12. And I want to unpack chapter 12 by by pulling out three truths from it that are vital for every person in this room, whether you are a Christian or not. First truth is this. It has been granted to you to believe in Jesus and to suffer for Jesus been granted to you to believe in Jesus and to suffer for Jesus. Second, resistance to God is futile. Resistance is futile. And third, more an exhortation than a truth, but based on truth, don't believe your eyes, be bold and courageous. Don't believe your eyes, be bold and courageous. So, first truth, it has been granted to you to believe in Jesus and to suffer for Jesus. This is in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. I'm paraphrasing there. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words I'm paraphrasing from Philippians 1.29. It's been granted to us to believe, not just to believe, but to suffer for Jesus. You know, having faith in Jesus, friends, is more than believing in Him and liking what He did for you. It's not less than those that, but it is more than that. To, to, to have faith in Jesus is also to live for Jesus, right? To be devoted to His 
purposes. Why? Because He's God. And we're not. Uh, and that, that devotion to, to Jesus' purposes, Jesus' mission, that dedication to live for Him will inevitably bring opposition, uh, even suffering and persecution into your life. One of the early church fathers named Jerome, writing in the 300s, uh, said it, couldn't have said it more plainly, right? He said, you are deceived if you, if you think that, that a Christian, if you think that a Christian can live without persecution. You are deceived if you think that a Christian can live without persecution. And boy, we see it here, don't we? In chapter 12, uh, King Herod went after uh, the key leaders of the church. So he executes James. This is not the James that Peter tells uh, the disciples to go and you know tell James about my rescue. That's James, the half brother of Jesus, and the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is James, the brother of John, both sons of Zebedee, uh, the ones that Jesus affectionately called the sons of thunder. Uh, and who, both of those sons of thunder, James and John, were, were part of that inner circle with Jesus, right? It was Peter, James, and John. That's James, the first of the disciples uh, to be martyred. And, you know, the brevity of the account, Luke only uses a few words, doesn't he, uh, to, to describe uh, the execution uh, of uh, of James and that that brevity sort of communicates the shocking sudden nature uh, of his murder. It must have been uh, shocking to the believers and discouraging to the believers. And no sooner does he finish executing James that he then arrests Peter, another key leader of the church, almost certainly with plans to do the same thing to Peter as he did to James, only he was delayed by the Passover. Uh, During Passover, you couldn't have a trial and you couldn't execute anybody. Uh, Herod uh, was being religious in order to, uh, and in his religiosity was forestalling his evil. Uh, waiting until Passover was over uh, to bring Peter out. Um, have you ever asked yourself, okay, you know, why Christianity is so opposed? Why its followers, why, why adherence to Christianity, pe- people who follow Jesus, who pledge allegiance to Jesus, why they're so opposed and persecuted. It's, you know, it, it's not obvious on its face why that should be so, especially when you think about Jesus' ethics, right? Loving your enemy, right? Forgiving those who hurt you, caring for the sick, the, the widow, the orphan, the poor, uh, not being judgmental, right? I mean, what's not to like? Right? You know, how is that so offensive that uh, we would be uh, persecuted uh, for that? And the answer, of course, is that you, uh, as a Christian, represent Jesus. And Jesus is God. And because He's God, uh, He has a claim on every human life. 
right? He, he, every human being is accountable to him. Every human being must acknowledge uh, uh, his lordship, come under his lordship, thank him, obey him, worship him, simply because of who he is, as well as what he has done. And you know, because we all have experienced it, that the, the natural human instinct uh, 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 is to push against that kind of authority over our lives. We resist it. We naturally tend to straight arm that kind of authority uh, over our lives. And that's driven by sin. And that's how sin manifests itself. That's sort of the essence of how sin manifests itself in uh, our lives. Sin makes you naturally want to be a self-determining person, a self-defining person, a self-exalting person, like Herod. I mean, Herod is exhibit A of the self-determining, self-defining, self-exalting person, right? But don't you dare think of sinners as the really bad people out there somewhere, right? They're not all Herods. In fact, the Bible affirms that every human being is a sinner. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory uh, of God. Most sinners are what the world would regard as good people. But they are people who are knowingly or unknowingly committing treason. How are they doing that? Because by 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 exalting someone other than the Lord. By living for themselves, not for God, by exalting themselves, not exalting Jesus. And when the Lord intrudes on their lives, on an unbeliever's life, and I know I'm probably talking to some unbelievers here, uh, and usually that takes the form of you Christians uh, talking to them about Jesus, sometimes they push back, right? Sometimes hard. Because of that sin-driven reflexive opposition to authority. Okay, been a couple of examples in the headlines about this recently. Uh, It didn't take long after the Super Bowl when those a couple of ads were run uh, promoting uh, uh, the uh, faith in Jesus. A couple of Super Bowl ads, you know promoting faith in Jesus, ran on the air during the Super Bowl. I think it was the very next day. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York claimed that the ads were, in so many words, promoting fascism. Christians are fascists. Others uh, in the mainstream media... uh, actually went behind the ads and attacked the people who had funded the ads, claiming that the ads were hypocritical and deceptive because they were paid for by hateful people, people who promote hate. Who are those people? Christians who oppose abortion and aren't on board with the LGBTQ agenda. Yeah. 
saw the same pushback against God and his uh, God's design for gender and sexuality uh, at the Grammys a week or so ago, right? When Sam Smith and Kim Petras, uh, uh, Sam Smith being a, non, uh, a non-binary person who identifies as neither male or female, uh, Kim Petras being a transgender person identifying as a female, they performed on the Grammys, their hit song, Unholy, dressed as Satanists in red leather. I mean, the anti-God, anti-Christian message was clear. It wasn't even subtle. Listen, my point here, though, is not to get us all worked up about the moral decay uh, of our culture. Uh, My point is that behind... What's happening in our culture today is a powerful pushback against the authority of God. A sin-driven pushback against God. And that pushback sometimes brings God's people, you and me, into the crosshairs. But our response must not be to wring our hands in panic or to shout our outrage in, in moral indignation. Let the, let the unbelieving moralists out there do that. We are followers of Jesus. What we must do is love and pray for those who oppose you and persecute you. And we need to show the world, we must show the world, you must show the world with your words and your lives, the freedom and the beauty of the gospel and of living, the freedom and beauty of living in line with the, with the gospel and with God and His design for His people, including His design for our work, our gender, our sexual ethics, our marriages. We're called, friends, to not only believe, but to suffer for Jesus, and we will. That's first truth. Second truth. Resistance is futile. Resistance to God is futile. This is verses 4 through 24. It's really the most of the chapter uh, is, is designed to show us this point. Um, it plays out in this confrontation between God and King Herod, which turns out to be no contest at all, right? And God does three things here to demonstrate that you cannot resist Him and succeed. Okay? You cannot resist God and succeed. Uh, Herod is the is the is the teaching model for that. The first thing God does is spring Peter from Herod's maximum security prison. Right? That's a wonderful story. You can almost, uh, you can really almost sense Luke's delight in this story. Right? It's, it's got, it's got great irony, great humor. Um, uh, you know, there he is, Peter, guarded by four squads of soldiers. Um, and then, not only that, but chained not to one soldier, which was the, what's the common Roman practice, but chained to two soldiers uh, behind at least two locked gates, 
And what happens? Uh, despite all of those security measures, an angel of the Lord appears in the cell. Right? Yeah, brilliant light lights up the cell. This is all on the night before Peter is to be brought out, probably for a quick show trial and then a summary execution. The very night before. Uh, and then uh, that angel, uh, after sort of... Uh, after waking Peter up and, and helping him get dressed, uh, walks Peter right out of the prison, right? Right past the guards, right through the gates, the final gate, out to the city, opening before them by the invisible hand of the Lord. You know, We may not be so impressed, right? We have one of those gates down here, in front of our church. You guys probably have garage doors that open, uh, right? This was before those times. Uh, this was before special effects. I can, yeah, can you imagine them? There's Peter, right? Thinking he's dreaming. Uh, you know, walking alongside this angel and the, and the gate just blowing open in front of them. Um, well, it was a great escape. It was an easy escape. Right, which was the point, uh, but it was so unlikely, right, and so unexpected that that Herod, uh, in the next morning, reacted not like a Jewish king, but more like a Roman tyrant, by ultimately ordering the execution of the sentries that had been guarding Peter. That was not Jewish practice; that was Roman practice. It shows you something of the ruthlessness of Herod. But it was also so unlikely and unexpected, this rescue, that even the Christians who were praying for Peter, right, praying for his rescue, uh, told the servant girl Rhoda, who'd forgotten to open the gate for Peter, right, that's so wonderful. There's Peter. Hey guys, Rhoda, come back. Um, You know, she goes back to tell him, Peter's at the gate, and and they tell her she's out of her mind. Why? Because she's giving them the answer to their prayer while they're praying. And you're out of your mind, they say. Uh, Boy, that's... I've been humbled like that before as a pastor. You know, I remember years ago someone asking me to pray for something that was... uh, you know, I couldn't imagine humanly it would ever happen, but I said, "Sure, I'll pray," and I did. I prayed, and and uh, and a few weeks later, the person came back and said, "The Lord answered our prayers, and said, this, this happened." And you know what my response was? "You're kidding." <laughs> and he looks at me kind of funny. He goes, you, "I thought you're, you're the pastor. What do you mean you're kidding?" I got, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, you know, we pray, but sometimes we don't expect, we don't believe. That was me. Um, the reason we probably have Rhoda's name is that she was alive when Acts was written, uh, and as Acts was being disseminated, it, this was a this was how they did it. Uh, they they would put uh, n- names of people like this. This is not, you know, why would we know Rhoda's name? 
because Luke put it in there, probably because Rhoda's around. She was probably a young woman. She's still around. You go and find her. Ask her whether this happened. Um, So, you know, basically the whole episode shows us that, right, if God wants Peter out of Herod's maximum security prison, he'll get out, right? Resistance is futile. Doesn't matter how you chain him or how many gates you put uh, around him. But now some of you are thinking, Ted, you know, you're doing the minister thing. You're being too simplistic. You know, what, you know, what about James? Yeah, you're, you're talking a lot about Peter, but what about James? James didn't get out. James wasn't rescued. James was killed. That is a good question if you were asking that and uh, and it's worth taking a couple of minutes to to address this right Uh, because there is some mystery here Uh, Peter rescued James martyred Um, but think about it for a moment guys what what does Peter's release say about James death what does Peter's release Say about James' death. It actually communicates a message that that Herod could not have missed, that the Christians back then could not have missed, and that we as Christians today dare not miss. Right? And what it what it says, what it communicates, is that James' execution was no accident. Right. James was killed not because God could not have saved him. James was killed not because God was unaware or incompetent. James was killed because God allowed Herod to kill him. Herod only had the power that God gave him. Like, every, like any person who has power. That power is given to him by God. That his, his power, Herod had, was given to him by God. And, and he, but he could exercise that power only as God willed it. Only within the guardrails that God, God would set up. And in this case, it was God's will that James not be rescued for the sake of Jesus' name, but die for the sake of Jesus' name. And if you think... If you're thinking right now, well, that sounds like a pretty raw deal. I mean, that seems unfair. That seems um, cruel. Seems crazy. If you're thinking that way, and I get it, uh, it, it might be, just check yourself, it might be that you are thinking about life like an unbeliever. You're thinking about that life is, is on this side of the grave. And that to be rescued means to, you know, for God to take every step to maximize your life on this side of our graves. But we forget, right, in God's economy and because of Jesus Christ, our lives are eternal. We know that James, uh, the moment... Uh, that uh, he was executed, and we don't know how except by the sword. Uh, it could have been beheading, it could have been that he was run through with the sword, we don't know. Uh, but the moment that happened, we know that James's soul entered the presence of the Lord. 
And Paul says that that is far better. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe it? You know, a couple of things. I don't know the mind of God, of course. I, I don't know the specific reason why he, God in his wisdom, rescued Peter and martyred James that day. Um, I do know that, that it wasn't, he wasn't rescuing Peter from martyrdom. It's just a timing question because Peter went on to be martyred himself. But here's what I do know. I do know that God is honored not just in your life, but also in your death. The Old Testament affirms that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Dying for the sake of Jesus is a powerful and motivational witness to his reality. Perhaps even more powerful and motivational than living for Jesus. Paul lays out that operating principle in Philippians. In Philippians 1.14, Paul's cooling his heels in jail, so he's talking about imprisonment, but the, not martyrdom, but the principle is the same. He says this, most of the brothers, this is Philippians 1.14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, in one sense, I think that's counterintuitive, right? You'd think that, that, that the imprisonment of a key man like Paul would, would not embolden you uh, to, or make you more confident and embolden you to speak. It, would, it seems like it might have the opposite effect, right? But no, his, his imprisonment led to, to boldness, to bold witness. And, 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 it's, and, it, and it works in martyrdom, he pro, pro, even more, right? Hardship, suffering, imprisonment, persecution, even martyrdom emboldens believers. We talked a few weeks ago about the, the, the uh, effect of the martyrdom of Jim Elliott and his comrades, missionary comrades in Ecuador. I believe that was in 1956, the year I was born. Um, the, their, their deaths at the hands of the Aka uh, tribe, inspired a whole new generation of missionaries. Right? It didn't scare missionaries away. It caused a whole generation of missionaries to rise up. Quoting Jerome again, going back to Jerome in the 300s, Jerome said, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecutions have made it grow, and martyrdoms have crowned it. So God is honored in our lives and our deaths. And our deaths are never in vain. They are, they're used by God in, in ways that you know, we may not even be able to see. 
And I also know something else. I know that God knows more than we do. Thankfully, right? And and so what might look incomprehensible to us, what might look foolish to us, what might look like there's there can be no good here, like the, in the killing of James, in fact is none of those things. Why? Because God knows more than we do. He knows better than we do. He has a grasp of all of reality. I'll give you another Super Bowl example. With apologies to those of you who aren't football fans. I, I was watching the Super Bowl and I was confused at the, near the end of the game. Uh, when, when Kansas City running back, uh, uh, Jarek McKinnon was running for a touchdown and he had an easy touchdown. I mean, it was wide open. He was going in. And I'm going, yep, seven points. The Kansas, Kansas City will win. And on the two yard line, he deliberately kneels down. And I, I about lost my mind. What are you doing? You had a sure touchdown. You'd be up by seven points. What are you, what's he doing? Well, he was doing exactly as he was coached, right? And the coach knew a better way to win that game. And it wasn't to do the obvious thing. And I'm looking at you. What's the goal of football? Score touchdowns. Guy had an easy, a sure touchdown. Why not take the seven right now? Nope. The coach knew 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 better. Uh, See, because when McKinnon knelt down on the two yard line, what that did was set up a certain game winning field goal. Doesn't matter whether you win by seven or three, and it allowed Kansas City to burn the clock down to nothing. So that, so that the Philadelphia Eagles couldn't, uh, couldn't come back. You see, not with, no surprise to anybody, the coach knew better than I did how to win that ball game. Right? And, and again, no surprise to anybody, the Lord knows infinitely better than I do, uh, how, uh, how to win at His world-saving mission. And that may be by my life, or it may be my death. Whatever happens to you and me, life or death, friends, we can trust the Lord. He knows. Evangelist Billy Graham once said, and he was so right when he said it, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. And that, friends, applies even to our dying. As we sang today, whatever befalls me, Jesus does all things well. So, that was kind of an extended sidebar on that first thing that, that God did. He just... You know, showed that resistance is futile by blowing Peter out of the prison and allowing James to be executed. Second thing that God did to show that resistance to him was futile was kill Herod himself. Right? When Herod accepted the praise and worship from those people from Tyre and Sidon, uh, a Praise and worship that only God is entitled to, right? The voice of a God and not a man. And by the way, Herod set this up. Uh, we have another account 
that tracks this one, just with some more detail, written by a Jewish historian, not in the Bible, uh, a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, tells the story of, of Herod's death. And what he did on that day was he had special robes made that were made of pure silver. Talks about royal robes here. He wore these silver robes and t- timed his oration to a point when the sun would be just right and shine on those robes and he apparently was dazzling. Right? It was, he was, you know, trying to do the transfiguration thing. Um, you know, so it's sort of first century version of special effects. And, uh, you know, the people of Tyre and Sidon, I don't know how much they b- believed it. They're flattering him, right? Because they needed to, they were trying to cut a contract for food. Uh, with him, but they go voice of a god and not of a man as he's giving his speech, and Herod's lapping it up, right? He's not saying no, 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 don't, don't worship me as a god. I'm not a god. Uh, he's lapping up that worship, that praise, and the angel of the Lord struck him down. Uh, really, all I want to say about this this event is that. And listen, because this is a sober warning. This is the paradigm for the end of any self-exalting, self-determining, God-ignoring life. This isn't just about Herod. This is God showing us in history what will happen to you if you live a self-exalting, self-determining, self-defining, God-ignoring life. Even if the world says you're a success. Even if the world says you're good. You know, we joke crudely about dying being, you know, a process of becoming food for worms. All joking aside, friends, if you persist in this self-exalting life, if you refuse to acknowledge and come under the lordship of Jesus, you will die just like Herod. Meaning you'll be eternally separated from the life and the joy that is only found in the Lord. Don't, you know, this is a sober warning. Death is the great leveler, isn't it? And just one other quick thing. Um, that was the only, I said that was the only thing, but I, I saw something here that Luke did that was subtle but telling. Uh, Luke uses the same Greek word here to describe what the angel of the Lord did in waking Peter up in the prison. Right? Remember what it said? It said he struck Peter on the side. And he, he uses that same word to describe what the angel of the Lord did in, in killing Herod. He struck him down. Same word. There's a lesson there, right? And the lesson is this. Christians... What that means is that the hard blows you receive from God as Christians, and Peter received a literal hard blow, right? I don't know what it was, an elbow in the ribs or something. The hard blows you and I receive from God as Christians are ultimately corrective. They're saving. They're rescuing. They're loving. They're designed for our good. But the ultimate hard blow that an unbeliever receives from God 
will not be corrective, and it will not be saving, and it will not be rescuing. It will be judicial. That is God's stroke of judgment. But the good news, the gospel, right? Let's not forget the gospel, right? Is, and the gospel is that Jesus took God's hard blow of judgment for you. Right? Jesus was struck by God on the cross so that you would never be struck by God's judgment. Right? If you're believing in Him today, you have the peace sitting here of knowing that your judgment has, in a very real sense, already happened because it happened on Jesus. So, if you're not believing on Jesus, I mean, the terror of God's judgment is still a reality for you. If you turn to Jesus and if you acknowledge Him as your Lord, then you, then you are shielded by Him, right? He, he, he will have, He will, His death will be for you. It will be the penalty, He will pay the penalty for your sin. Okay. Then that's the second thing he did. He killed Herod. The third thing he did to show that resist that God did to show resistance to him is futile is to cause the increase in the multiplication of his word. Right? You think about this chapter. Right? It opens up with with uh, Herod in power, James dead, Peter in prison, and it ends with Herod dead. And what's going on? The, 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 the word of God, the gospel, is, is going stronger than ever. It's increasing and multiplying. Um, that good word, that good news, that, that Jesus lived a righteous life for your account, so that you would be righteous, that He died to take the judgment for your sin. That he was raised to guarantee your living after your dying and in order to be your king and your advocate today. That word, that word of good news will always increase and multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit until everyone that God calls is saved. It will not stop. It will not fail. Try to stop the spread of the, uh, of the Word of God and you end up like Herod. Right? Jesus said it to Peter. The gates of hell cannot and will not stop the advance of His church. Look where the church is growing fastest. Uh, we've got, we had a video from one of those regions, right? Church is one of the fastest growing places, one of the regions on the earth, Asia, where our missionary is, uh, is where the church is growing the fastest, precisely in the places where it's most under attack. Right? Oppose God, you lose. Join God, you win. And you join God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. Third and final truth, very quickly. And this is really the exhortation. Don't believe your eyes, be bold and courageous, right? Think about, think about this. If the Christians in Jerusalem had believed their eyes, they would have despaired, right? What was the situation? One of their key leaders, right? An apostle who had known, 
been Jesus' inside circle, close to Jesus. He was dead. Another key leader was in prison and almost certain to be dead. Uh, Herod was in power. He was marshalling all of his assets against Christians. Uh, the Christian church was a comparatively small group of people, had no power, no arms, no ability to fight back. Right? They were in hiding, and all they could do was pray. When you look at that and you go, you know, this looks bad. This, this looks hopeless. This looks uh, weak. But the fact is, it was none of those things. Okay. Right? When we get to the point, Christian friends, of, of, of saying, and we often do, and it really, we're really often at the most, most of the, we're always at this point, we just don't realize it. That, you know, we don't really have strength of our own. We don't have power of our own. We don't know what to do. So I guess all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. It's when, it's when we pray, when we're in touch with the Almighty God. The Almighty God who holds kings and presidents and politicians and armies and life and death in His hand and moves them according to His will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our law, you know, that's when we have power. When we're weak. Our lives are secure in Christ by grace through faith. We have nothing to fear. Even our death now is, 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 is our portal to life because of Jesus. In our weakness, we have the strength of the Lord. So Christian friends, I mean, the, the bottom line here is, is really to do what, they, what, what, what happened here at the very end, right? Barnabas and Saul, they get, brought the offering from Antioch. And now they grabbed another guy, John Mark, and they're heading back to Antioch. And as we'll see, Antioch becomes the nerve center for sending the gospel out to the world. So like them, like Barnabas, like Saul, be bold, be courageous, speak the truth in love, tell the good news about Jesus, and leave the outcome with God because He wins, and He knows how to win. Right? Amen? I'm good. I need to pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this uh, amazing chapter and for the truths we learn from it. Um, And I do pray that as we reflect on those truths, that You will make us bold and courageous. That uh, and, and that we will be people not wringing our hands, but but praying for and loving those who persecute us, and and bearing witness to the good news of Jesus, which is the the hope the world needs. Thank you, Lord, that we can sit here today by by your mercy, your grace, confident in your love for us being fully known and fully loved. We pray, Lord, for our friends and our family members and our co-workers that don't have that. Lord, please give us a heart for them and help us to reach out to them, even as Saul and Barnabas did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. 
please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.